Uh, I just had a random thought while Jake was talking about Paul and his sabbatical and him keeping busy is, you know, we've talked about Hilltop has God sightings every week. Um, I think maybe we should start doing Paul sightings um, through the sabbatical. Uh, and all of us can, I'll be like, I saw him on Kellogg. I, you know, we could just share our Paul sightings, but where we've seen him on his sabbatical. So, um, but yeah, I, uh, Paul, um, this is going to be my, my, probably my biggest betrayal of Paul as I begin this sermon. Uh, my biggest betrayal of him on his sabbatical is I'm going to tell you a story that he loves, 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 but I've never told it in a sermon uh, in front of him, and now I'm going to when he's not here. And he's going to be upset. Um, in fact, I already told him. He's like, no. But uh, I don't know why. This, this story strikes a chord for Paul, uh, a, a big chord, and he loves it, and he asks me to tell it in front of people a lot. Um, there's something about it that he really likes, but uh, I want to start with that, that story uh, tonight. Um, and it takes place in a train in, in Chicago, actually. So it was my first time going to this intensive that I'm going to leave for tomorrow. Ironically, this story takes place, and I was on a train going from Chicago, Chicago proper, you know, out to uh, the suburb that my seminary is in, uh, Lyle, Illinois. And I was on this train, and in the train I met this man, an, an, an older man uh, there, who he had all these bags uh, lying around him the whole time and he was kind of making friends with everybody on the train and uh, when it came closer and closer to our stop you know he got up by the door and was really anxious you could just tell he was really anxious he had so many bags that he was trying to carry um, and it was really worried he was going to miss his, his stop and so he even asked uh, a few of us to take some bags for him to make sure that he was really anxious about these doors opening up and him not not getting out which is understandable he uh like I said, he, he was older and, and also had some pretty bad eyesight. He had um, some really thick glasses, you know, kind of the bottleneck glasses. Uh, and so we, we make it out of the train and a couple of us are holding his bags and then uh, we set up kind of his bags around him and we all kind of walk away and he's looking around. He's kind of waving at cars, just any car that's going by, looking for his ride. And uh, so we're walking back, but a lot of us are kind of looking back and seeing that he's clearly going to need some more help. And maybe you've been in this scenario before where you and uh, some strangers that you're with have kind of a staring contest. Like, who's going to, one of us has to help him. We need to help him. And so I lost the staring contest. And I said, I, I got it. I'll help him. And I go to him. And the first question he asks me, and, and he's got this real thick uh, Chicago accent, um, <clears throat> which I think is why Paul likes his story. But uh he said, what stop is this? And I said, this is Lyle. And he goes, Lyle? Lyle? Oh, the wrong stop. Oh, the wrong. And he used some colorful language here. The wrong stop, Lyle. Oh, what a blunder. Oh, what a blunder. I've made a blunder. And I was like, okay, well, we can figure this out. And he asked um, if I said, you know, your ride, can I call them for you? And I get out my phone. I said, what, what's your brother's number? He said his brother was going to pick him up. Uh, what's your brother's number? And he goes, uh, he, he pulls out from his breast pocket uh, something I bet we've all seen. Every one of my grandparents had this, but um, a wad of essential information written on papers. And he starts sorting through looking for his brother's number. He finally finds it and gives me the number and I, I call and I'm explaining the situation to his brother. But the whole time I'm explaining it, he's just screaming into my face, into the phone. I went to the wrong stop. I'm in Lyle. What a blunder. And at one point, at one, he kept saying, what a blunder. And at, at one point I said, 
you can talk to him. You're welcome. And he's like, no, 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 you do it. But then kept screaming into my face, uh, what a blunder, and just kept saying it. And, uh, <laughs> and then his brother came, and it was fine. We waited around. It was about 10, 15 minutes away, so we waited around and talked, and he was real sweet. He said uh, he, was, he was Jewish, and he said he was bringing out all, this, all the bags. Come to find out they were filled with food, and he was bringing out food what, to what he called uh, the sticks. He said, I'm bringing out food to the sticks out here, which if you saw this suburb, it's not at all the sticks. But um, bringing out food to, in his words, the, the Jews out here, they, it was a holiday, some Jewish holiday, and they were uh, celebrating that. And then he asked what I did, and I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm a, a pastor at a church in Wichita, Kansas, actually. He said, oh, what's the name of the church? And I said, Wheatland Mission. He said, oh, I will pray blessings on Wheatland Mission. He was um, so grateful, and, and it was really, it was a sweet story. And there's one more tiny part of the story that I'm going to say for the end of the sermon. But uh, tonight, we're, we're talking about um, the gospel, and we're beginning a series on the gospel. This is the first, technically the second night of ordinary time in the church calendar. And uh, so we have this sermon series that's loosely based off of a book called The King Jesus Gospel uh, by Scott McKnight. And I encourage you, uh, if you are interested, to read along with us. Um, we're not going chapter by chapter by any means, but that, this, the idea of this book, uh, The King Jesus Gospel, is what we're going to be looking at. And uh, this, this picture here uh, is a picture of the, the four gospel writers um, a portrayal of them all looking at their their text and there's even an angel there um, giving some some help and uh, we're going to be thinking about what the gospel is and something uh, I want us to think about tonight is our tendency to especially in modern times our tendency to try to reduce the gospel to the smallest amount of words possible to what I'm gonna call tonight the irreducible minimum of the gospel uh, our tendency to do that and, and, and why we do that and also what that might what kind of culture that might provide uh, for the church when we do that when we when we narrow down when we water down the gospel to the most essential words what I'm going to argue tonight is uh, what's possible if we do that is uh, we miss out on a lot I think one reason that we often do that and we'll, we'll get into this is an anxiety um, it's all good intention but, uh, but this anxiety that we're going to miss it. And I, I just have this image of the, the old man on the train who's like so worried about missing this stop. The, the doors are going to open and they're going to close. And he's so worried about slipping up uh, that he misses, he misses it completely. Um, he was so worried about that that he got out early. He got off the train early. And I think sometimes when we do this uh, with our understanding of the gospel, I think we get off the train a little bit early uh, when we just want to reduce it to its most minimal form. And like my friend on the train, I think we might make a blunder uh, when we do this. Uh, but first, uh, before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm curious uh, if tonight, if I were to hand out note cards to each of you, and this is what I would do if I was in youth group, actually, if I were to hand out note cards and ask you to just write the gospel on the note card, I wonder what uh, consensus we would all come to if we were to compare them all. Obviously, they would be very similar, but I think, uh, you know, the wording would be definitely different between uh, all of us. 
I suspect in this crowd uh, at Wheatland, um, a lot of us might throw the word kingdom in there somewhere, um, in some way. Um, some of us might uh, put, you know, the, the most simple formula that a lot of us are familiar with, Jesus died for your sins. Uh, some of us would put a verse, uh, which would probably be a good idea, um, maybe John 3.16, 3, um, something like that. We might put a verse. Um, some of us might even just say, well, hey, there's four books in Scripture called the Gospels. Let's just say that's the Gospels. Uh, th- I mean, th- we call them that for a reason, and we're going we're gonna to think about that tonight. Or some of us, um, and I might be inclined, to be honest, um, to do something like this is if I was just doing the simplest version, I'd say Jesus is Lord. And the gospel is all the implications of that statement, that Jesus is Lord. And that's a very uh, Stanley Hauerwas thing to say, but um, Jesus is Lord. But why do you think it is that if we were all to do that right now, I don't think any of us would have the exact same words as one another. And yet the gospel is is such a core uh, to who we are. Uh, why is it so hard for us to define? And I, I do want to start by saying I, I don't think tonight or in this series, I don't think we're wasting our time by thinking about the definition of the gospel. I think it matters a lot. And there clearly there's something there <laughs> that we are saying when we say the word gospel. But I think it's good for us to spend some time thinking about, well, well what is it? Um, can we come to some kind of a consensus on, on what the gospel is? Tonight we heard uh, from Second Corinthians uh, this phrase, you know, we believe and so we speak. Uh, all of us in this room, what we can say is the gospel is in some way what got us all here tonight, in a sense. You know what I mean? The gospel has encountered all of us in our life at some point, and it's why we are Christians. It's why we are in the church. And that's, I, I think that applies to you whether you grew up in the church or not. You have been somehow encountered the gospel or else or else I don't know why you're here every week. Uh, I think we've all encountered it. And the gospel also is whatever rocked the ancient world after Pentecost uh, and was spread so quickly. That's, that's the gospel. Uh, Dallas Willard in his uh, foreword to this Scott McKnight book, The King Jesus Gospel, in his foreword, he puts that question that we're trying to answer tonight much better than I will. And I have it on the slide here. He says... What was the message that shocked the ancient world into its response to Christ and his apostles? And what message has, on numerous occasions, pulled individuals into a life clearly not of the world? And even shaped significant human groups in the character and power of Christ? Can we identify it and can we live it today? Can we identify it? I think that's ultimately the question of of our series that we're beginning tonight can we identify the gospel and can we or do we do we live it today let's begin with this this phrase that i mentioned a moment ago uh, irreducible minimum Uh, we have a tendency to try to reduce the gospel to the irreducible minimum this phrase uh, comes from it actually comes from a QA time uh, with a theologian uh, named john stott after a presentation he gave on the gospel, uh, one of the people raised their hand during the Q&A and asked, okay, that was great, but what is the irreducible minimum? And John Stott said, who wants the irreducible minimum gospel? I want the whole gospel. And I think that that question, it comes with really good intentions. Again, um, 
the intention behind that question is usually evangelism. It, it's, I, I want to know what is, what is the, the quickest way to say the gospel so that I can share it. That is a very, very good intention. But what happens when we, when we reduce the gospel to the most digestible uh, formula? Um, according to Scott McKnight, it creates what we're going to call a, a salvation culture versus uh, a gospel culture. So in this book um, from Scott McKnight, uh, which, by the way, uh, the first time I came to Wheatland years and years and years ago, I uh, saw Paul. And I remember looking at him and thinking, I'm going to make fun of that guy in front of his whole congregation one day. And he's not going to be there to say anything. And uh, look at me. I played the long game and uh, it worked. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, no, but I, I asked Paul, I remember asking Paul the following week after just meeting him uh, after church, as many of us do after church, our first time at Wheatland. I remember messaging him on Facebook, and this is one nice thing about Facebook is they keep all these conversations. So I went and read this conversation today, and it was really touching to me, honestly. It was really great. But I asked him, I said, love the service, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I was asking for reading recommendations. I said, I'm, I'm, I keep hearing this word kingdom, like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. What could I go read to, to really explore that more? And Paul told me three books I should read, and these probably won't surprise you. He said, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. Uh, he said, uh, Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And he said, this book, he said, you should start with this book, The King Jesus Gospel by, by Scott McKnight. And so I, I did, and, and then read all, all of those, and it began for me a, a really, really, uh, important spiritual journey in some ways, in some ways that I'm still on, to be honest, um, even specifically in just reading, there's just so much there. Um, so in this book, uh, McKnight argues that uh, we, we should return to a bigger, more robust definition of the gospel. And keep in mind, he's not doing this, he, he's, his goal in the book is not to bring this new, bigger, better, more shiny gospel than maybe what a lot of us think. He's actually, he, he's a New Testament scholar. He's not a, even a, a theologian. He's writing as a New Testament scholar saying, guys, there's a bigger, more robust definition of the gospel in scripture. Let's keep our, our gospel scriptural is his big idea. And so just to, for you to hear kind of where he's coming from uh, in this book, so he spends some time uh, explaining uh, the difference between a, a salvation culture and a, a gospel culture. And he argues that, that much of the church today, if they focus only on the, the irreducible minimum gospel, they become a salvation culture. And this is some of the, the differences between those two phrases. He says, uh, salvation, or sorry, gospel culture, it's concerned with God's action in the world today, whereas Salvation culture's first concern is the individual's personal salvation. Gospel culture is interested in forming disciples of Jesus, whereas a salvation culture is more just interested in making decisions, uh, people making decisions for Jesus. And finally, gospel culture is concerned with God's action in your life today, whereas salvation culture, their concerns is little more than forensic. Meaning uh, their concerns is, is in the afterlife, maybe more than today, life with God today. 
And it's really, really important to stress this. Scott McKnight, uh, he's not saying that that's not the gospel, that um, Jesus died for your sins. Of course that's the gospel. He's saying there's more to it. Um, personal salvation. He's not saying personal salvation is not a part of the gospel. Of course it is. Per personal salvation is absolutely the gospel, but maybe there's more. Maybe we're getting off the train even earlier than we should. Um, and even decisions. Decisions are absolutely, absolutely essential uh, in the gospel. But that's not it. There's more. So he's not denying these things, but he's saying those are only a part of what Scripture says the gospel is. And sal salvation culture, decision-making cultures versus a gospel culture, it, it looks a lot like finding the most efficient means of getting a decision. What's, how do we get from point A to point B? How do we get a decision for Christ the quickest? And I think a lot of us are probably familiar with this. Um, one that comes to mind for me, and I do apologize if, 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 if you've had a part in this, but um, one that comes to mind for me is like Judgment House that we see every October. Um, how do we get to a decision um, for Christ? Again, completely, completely right intentions, in my opinion. Uh, and I have no interest tonight in making fun of any of these. Um, I'm sure we could all think of some gospel presentations that maybe bothered us because it was trying to get from point A to B the quickest, get to a decision. But tonight, I just want us to think about when we do that, what kind of culture does it then provide us with? A salvation culture or a gospel culture? And of course, we're going to look more in this series at what a gospel culture is. Another uh, quick way to put it, I, I wanted to show if you're a visual learner like I am, uh, McKnight puts, I think, this really helpful um, kind of image together. I have a slide for it, I believe. Thank you. Uh, so he suggests that there's, there's four categories that kind of make up the gospel, or at least they are, they are part of the gospel. Uh, there is the story of Israel, or the story of, of Scripture, and, and flowing out of that story is the story of Jesus. Including, of course, the most, we could, I think we can say, uh, the most central act being the cross and resurrection. But let's also not separate those two, by the way. Uh, but cross and resurrection, that flows out of a fulfillment of a story of Israel. And flowing from that, then, uh, we have what, what McKnight terms just the plan of salvation. So God's plan of salvation, this is where we get things like personal salvation, our, our personal salvation. This is where we get... Uh, talk about the kingdom of God and getting to live in the kingdom now. That's a part of the plan of salvation is the kingdom being now and not yet. We've talked about that a lot here at Wheatland. Um, what it means that Christ is Lord, as I was saying earlier, all the implications. If Christ is Lord today and he's reigning today, that's a part of his plan of salvation that we are in, a part of. Uh, the plan of salvation is where we could talk about atonement theories. Um, what happened on the cross that is saving us? Um, and then finally, we could even talk about eschatology, what happens at the end of all things. That's a part of God's plan of salvation. It flows out of the story of Jesus. And then lastly, uh, what, what McKnight calls the method of persuasion. And this is simply just the words we then use to share the gospel, to tell the gospel, to embody the gospel. This is the method that the gospel is shared and what, what McKnight wants to say with this, actually the question he asks in his book is, 
before tonight, which one of these would you have said is the gospel? How do you think of the gospel? Is it the life of Jesus? I mean, those books in our Bible are called the gospels. Is, is that the gospel? Would you have thought of the plan of salvation, all these benefits of the gospel? Is that the gospel? Um, or or the, the actual telling of it, the method, is that the gospel? The gospel is just whatever you say to get to a, a decision. Um, there's another slide, and uh, McKnight says this is kind of what it looks like in a salvation culture, a, a culture that's only seeking decisions. Um, much more time is given to method. How do, we, how do we share this, again, in the most efficient means? Um, and then a lot of time also to plan of salvation, relatively little uh, emphasis on the actual story of Jesus. In fact, you might just say, oh, I have the cross, which makes all this plan of salvation possible. I don't really need the life of Jesus. Not really part of the gospel to me. Um, and then um, forget the Old Testament. Forget the story of Israel. That's even less time in, in this salvation culture. Whereas a gospel culture would see that all of this makes up the gospel. At least, at least according to scripture. So I'm picking on salvation culture a lot. Um, but this is where I think it matters. This is what I think is at stake in talking about this gospel culture versus salvation culture. You know that phrase, um, some of us might have heard this, uh, what you win them with is what you win them to. Um, I, I hear it a lot talking about ministry. Uh, what we win them with is what we win them to. If that's true, if it is true, then I think we have a lot of people walking around that are formed by a gospel in which they are at the center. I think we might have some people, Christians, walking around who are being formed by a gospel in which they are at the center. And that is what, to me, is at stake in this conversation. I'm not saying, though, uh, that the gospel doesn't come to us in a personal way. Of course it comes to us in a personal way. Thank goodness that our God is, is personal. The gospel does come to us in a personal way. But as we become disciples of Jesus and as we're formed around that gospel our eyes are going to drift off of ourselves and they're going to drift to Jesus maybe it's every week maybe it's every day but we have a gospel that takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on Jesus Jesus is at the center of the gospel in a gospel culture the phrase uh, Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior that is a much newer phrase in the history of the church than the phrase, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those ring so differently. One uh, comes from scripture, one doesn't. Um, and we're gonna get into that a little bit more um, next week when we talk a little bit about the Old Testament's role in all this. But because I know some of us here are wired in a way that, okay, you just said the word gospel 500 times and you didn't give any kind of a definition of what the gospel is. And if I'm picking on this reduced version, I should probably provide with a, a different version. And so I want to do that um, here, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15 for that. And we won't spend long on it, um, but if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, this is actually part of the problem with identifying the gospel in Scripture is that where do we go? Um, do we go to Jesus' words? If we go to Jesus' words... He never says, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus doesn't say that phrase um, that I'm aware of. He talks about his death and his resurrection. Um, 
But he doesn't say that, that formula. So if, if, if that's the gospel, we don't get that with Jesus' words. Um, do we go to Paul? Um, well, Paul and Jesus' words often look very different. And that's going to be the topic of one of our sermons as well. Do we go to the first sermons in Acts? Uh, go and read Peter's first sermons and Stephen's first sermons. That's actually not a bad place maybe to go. Um, but this is one of the, you can see kind of the difficulties of, if we're going to let scripture define what the gospel is, where do we start? And so these are some of the questions we're going to be answering in this series. Um, next week, uh, Bob Mueller is going to be preaching for us. We like to give him the harder sermons. And so he's going to be uh, satisfactorily answering uh, this question. Uh, he's going to deal with, he's going to deal with, is the Old Testament, because according to McKnight it is, is the Old Testament at all necessary? To how we think of the gospel. Is it necessary? Um, we're going to look at, of course, the gospel according to Christ. What did Christ say? What was his gospel? Uh, we're going to look at the gospel according to Paul. And we're going to have fun looking at why, does those, why do those look different? Um, that's an age-old uh, question in theology. Why, why are their languages so different, Jesus and Paul? And we're going to look at the apostles, how they define the gospel. But the reason we're going to 1 Corinthians 15 uh, real fast here at the end is <clears throat> these lines in 1 Corinthians 15, all of the whole chapter is, is really, really great. But these were, lines that we're going to look at are thought to be some of the oldest lines in the entire New Testament. Um, that's, that's a big deal. The, these, these lines here are thought to be uh, the oral gospel tradition. What was spread person to person, the oral tradi tradition. Uh, McKnight puts it this way in his book. He says, I just like the way he puts this. Before there was a New Testament, before the apostles were beginning to write letters, and before the gospels themselves were written, there was the gospel. And that, that's important for those of us on the other side of, of Scripture who have this book. The gospel was around before there was the book, right? So when we go to define the gospel, this is a, a portion of Scripture where Paul seeks to define the actual word gospel. It's the closest thing we have to that. Um, define the word gospel. And so uh, I'm going to read them now for us. And you'll see in here, uh, scholars think that, um, you know, the, the tone of his letter shifts right here. And that's why they think this was like a recited thing. Um, but then he's going to break it up and jump in with himself. He'll go in at the end of these words and say, oh, and then there was one untimely born. And then he talks about himself for a moment. Um, and then in verse 20, it's back to this recited thing. And in verse 20, we'll recognize some of those words. We read them tonight. But verse 20 says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received and in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you, as of first importance, what I in turn had received, and this is it, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then rolling into verse 20, some of these words are going to be familiar to us, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for those that have died. 
I have the, the, the BCP version of my brain that I'm trying to translate. Um, for those who have died, for since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as in all die in Adam, so will all be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him. So that God may be all in all. So that potentially is the earliest oral gospel tradition that's passed on and passed on. Now, depending on your bias in hearing those words, you might have highlighted a certain part and then stopped listening. You might have heard the very beginning, Jesus died for our sins. And went, there it is. I don't need to keep, like that's, that's the gospel, that's the irreducible minimum. Paul does not stop. He has much, much more to say. He does not stop there. Uh, for some of you, you may have heard because I put a lot of emphasis on it, uh, in accordance with the scriptures uh, multiple times. Uh, that's a little bit hinting at what we're getting at next week when we think about the Old Testament in accordance with the scriptures. Uh, some of you uh, might have heard the, the, the portion there at the end about uh, Christ's reign. Jesus is Lord people, kind of like myself. I, I would like perk up at that part, that Christ is reigning. Uh, now, until all enemies are put under his feet. And some of us maybe uh, only perked up at the end when it started to talk about the eschaton, the end of all things, uh, where God is going to be all in all, all things made right. There's a million uh, different parts of this where maybe you perked up more. Um, all the language of the last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's beautiful. One thing I love about this gospel definition is that uh, even multiple atonement theories are present. You know, you have a, a substitution. You have Jesus dying for our sins, for us. But then you also have, uh, if you're familiar with Christus Victor, this, this victory of God is emphasized in the resurrection, that the last enemy defeated is death. You have all these different things wrapped up in here. And all of us might have approached it with our own bias. And I want to argue tonight that the biases are a good thing. Uh, that even though we all heard something different maybe in there, that's a good thing. Because those four categories, according to McKnight, they're all present in this passage that we just read. They're all present. And so don't whittle down the gospel. The gospel in Scripture is large and robust and it's beautiful. Even with all of our biases, we're going to see it and approach it. And it's probably going to approach us in a personal manner and even the cross and resurrection which we can say is the, the central event of the gospel I will throw out uh, Paul not only here but in all of Paul he goes much harder on the, the, the resurrection he talks about that a lot more than he ever does the cross but they're clearly together we can call that our central event 
of the gospel, but that event shoots us off into past, present, and future. The cross and the resurrection shoot us off in many directions. The past, it shoots us to the past as we see Christ as a fulfillment of scripture. Uh, it shoots us to the present as we see all the implications of, of Christ's reign, as we see the kingdom of God now, and it's in a personal way. And it shoots us off into the future when we hear about God making all things right, that God may be all in all, put all things in subjection under him. It shoots us off, and we need to allow the gospel, the cross and resurrection talk, we need to allow it to shoot us off. Don't jump off the train too early. So I'll end with these, these two last thoughts, and I mean it when Paul says that. I don't know if he means I mean I mean two last thoughts. And they really are, they really are I think, short thoughts. Um, one is I just want to comment on what I think this might mean for us at Wheatland Mission in Wichita, Kansas now. To be honest with you, I look around this room and I don't think that we have too much of a problem with being a salvation culture, a culture that's only seeking decisions, and not making disciples. I, I don't think that we have that problem, but I also would say that doesn't put us in the right. That alone doesn't mean that we are a gospel culture. Um, simply not being this, this salvation culture thing doesn't put us in the right. And in fact, I would suspect that for many of us in this room, we maybe grew up in a salvation culture or have had experience in that, and it left a bad taste in our mouth. And so we, we kind of threw that out. But when we threw it out, we threw out the whole idea of sharing the gospel. When we threw out the bad taste, whatever experience we had, maybe we threw out the whole idea of sharing the gospel. And the whole idea of these words like evangelism or these words like witness, maybe we threw it all out. And in which case, I would say that we've gone too far on the other direction, uh, a pendulum swing too far. Uh, in which case, I think uh, we too need this series to think about what it means to be a gospel culture, uh, a community that shares the gospel in our lives and with our words. I think we need this uh, as much as anybody. I really do. And then my last thought is just a caveat for this entire sermon. Uh, I have some good news about the good news. Uh, some good news about the gospel. It has to do a little bit with this man on the train. This man, bless his heart, he made it home that day. In fact, he made it to wherever he wanted to be in the sticks. Uh, he made it there. Um, be it a, a different route than he planned. Maybe not the fastest route. Maybe not the best route. But he made it where he needed to be. A couple months later, uh, Paul gets a note in the mail, an envelope, and he opens it up and it's a check written out to the Wheatland Mission. And it just says, for the young man on the train. And I knew, I knew who it was. <laughs> um, he didn't forget us. He blessed us, this man. And here's the good news, is that that phrase, uh, what you win them with is what you win them to, not always true. It's often, often not true. Because God can use absolutely any route. Uh, it doesn't matter if maybe we jumped off the train early. We want the irreducible minimum. God can work that out many times and get us to him. So the good news as we speak about gospel is that even with a 
broken gospel or a reduced gospel is it's okay often. Uh, often God still makes it work. Uh, he brings us to him. Might not be the best route, but he gets us there. And it reminds me, and these are the words I'll end with, it reminds me of these words from Isaiah 55, which by the way, if I had to argue one chapter in the Old Testament that is the gospel, read Isaiah 55, the whole thing. But it reminds me of these words. For as rain and snow fall from the heavens and return not again, but water the earth, bringing forth life and giving growth, seed for sowing and bread for eating, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I have purposed and prosper in that for which I sent it. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you open up our hearts and our minds as we consider uh, what is uh, the core of our faith, the, the gospel. We thank you for good news in uh, big ways and in small ways, all the implications of your gospel in our lives. We ask that you create in us uh, a gospel culture uh, and that you show us um, how to be witnesses of your action of your salvation in the world. We pray this through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.